Hey there, this is Andrew, and I'm going to go over the whole new TRG, or Keyforge Tournament Rules and Guidelines document that Ghost Galaxy published yesterday. And um, yeah, we're going to go through the whole thing. <clears throat> this is uh, the first like official rules document that I'm aware of posted by Ghost Galaxy. So... Uh, this should start to give us a picture of the shape of what they're trying to do with the game. We know that they want to make changes. Uh, some people are probably not going to like some of those, although I, I really think they're trying to make changes with the players in mind. They want everybody to be having a good time uh, because then we stick around and buy decks and make the money. So they're kind of incentivized that way. Now, um, yeah, we'll go through. I, I was surprised by a couple of things in here, and uh, my cat also surprised. And there's some stuff that I <clears throat> I haven't seen a lot of people talking about. So uh, some stuff that people are talking about. Obviously, the if you're into Alliance, then the restricted list, which I already went over in a separate video, is the most interesting part. But uh, there's a lot of other interesting stuff in here, and I will cover the restricted list again briefly in this video. So they start with a they start with a preamble about why this document is important. That's great. And uh, yeah, there we go. So and and of course the the goal is to provide a framework for players and judges to be entertained. That makes sense. And it is interesting they, they give a, a nod to judges being entertained there. I, I have to say, I um, I enjoy doing judge stuff because I really like rules, but I prefer competitive play. Now, I, that doesn't mean I wouldn't ever just go to an event and be a judge and not play because um, doing that sometimes sounds fun, but mostly I want to play and try to win. Uh, so it's just interesting, but I know I have friends who are not that way, who would rather, they really enjoy just showing up and judging and, uh, are very happy doing that most of the time. So, uh, anyway, just interesting to have that called out and it's good to remember people are all different and, uh, just because you like Keyforge one way doesn't mean that other people don't enjoy it a different way and, uh, that we can't all be together and benefit from each other's presence in the community. So um yeah okay wanted to make sure i was on the right mic so let's get into it there's a bunch of definitions um most of these are pretty uncontroversial i'm not going to go over all of them but they do differentiate between a casual tournament and an official tournament the difference is an official tournament is administered under this document the trg and it's organized by Ghost Galaxy or its designated tournament organizer. So, uh, yeah, these are tournaments put on by Ghost Galaxy. Higher, they could involve going to higher level. This, they don't make a distinction here between like Premier and uh, Cat really wants attention. They don't make a distinction here between Premier and lower level official. Um, it's just casual and official. So now they, they might add on like a, an official premiere later or something, but anyway, <clears throat> um, that, that's the distinction they have here. Casual, uh, are administered under this document, but, 
uh, and they might even have Ghost Galaxy price support. I think Ghost Galaxy have been wanting to do a, a good job there. That's one of their goals is to do a great job on price support for casual events. Um, and these can use any format specified by the event organizer. And they've talked about this a little bit. If you don't like, if you want to do an adaptive event at your local store, even with something that's like GG price support, you absolutely can do that as an event organizer. So, um, so they're actually giving more freedom on this level, officially at least, than than we had previously. But on the uh, on the official tournaments, they're going to be restricted to uh, those four. That, that we've seen, uh, Archon Sealed, uh, Alliance Sealed, Archon Standard, and Alliance Standard. Okay, so the official tournament format, uh, set of rules here, and game rules, yeah, we, we know all that stuff. Um, now, roles. It's interesting, they distinguish between a participant, uh, well, I guess everybody is a participant, um, but also uh, event organizers, <clears throat> event staff, and then uh, players, judges, and marshals. And so they have this really, uh, really clearly delineated here. And uh, they do specify, if you're a spectator and you see something, a breach of the rules in a game, um, you should bring it to the attention of the judge, but you shouldn't interrupt the game. Uh, you, you must not disturb an ongoing game. Now, I think at casual level, uh, that might, you know, it might be a little more normal to, to intervene, but technically you should bring it to the attention of a judge instead of intervening yourself. Uh, and certainly at a high-level event, that would be, or, you know, at an official event, that would be, uh, you should talk to the judge, not intervene um, judges and marshals both could spend time not on duty and specifies they should make that clear that's interesting and something I maybe that was in the old rule doc I, I hadn't noticed it before and um, judges uh, judges are under the marshal the marshal makes final decisions that all makes sense I think and now there's nothing in here that says that a judge can't play also and so uh, that that's interesting and good. So at like a casual level event, it might be typical to have a player who acts as a judge and then have like the event organizer who works at the store be the marshal. Um, that, that I think would be a fairly typical setup. And in that case, you know, the, the player who is knowledgeable about the rules will be making the judging calls. But if there's a dispute that arises, somebody can go to the marshal who probably isn't playing and get them to make a call. I could imagine having a marshal who's also playing, but uh, you'd really just have to have everybody a high level of trust between everybody, um, because you, it could, you know, at some point there could arise a conflict of interest, and they'd have to be somebody who would uh, make the right call there. And yeah, anyway, probably probably better to have the the final say, the marshal be somebody not playing. But even that isn't said here. So, and they can also be a judge, but a marshal doesn't even have to be a judge. Okay, so, um, if, you, if players have a dispute, they can't resolve it, they should bring a judge. If they uh, have a, if they disagree with the judge who's not the marshal, they can escalate it to the marshal, etc. There's a thing here on unsporting conduct, 
conduct, unsporting conduct, a, a section here. It's interesting. Um, they they specify poor personal hygiene. I know it's something people have complained about in other games before. I've never heard of that complaint in a Keyforge event, but it's good to have it on here. Um, people should smell not smell offensive anyway. You don't have to smell nice. You just have to not smell offensive, etc. Um, you should have uh, non-aggressive, non-offensive behavior. That all makes sense. You can't stall. Don't stall. Do not do that. That's that's really bad behavior. Uh, throwing game components, obviously, intentionally trying to confuse an opponent. Yeah, that's um, that's important. You know, uh, I think as KeyForge players, we all have a duty to each other to try to make things clear what we're doing, and that would be that would be bad behavior. I'm glad that's explicitly called out here disrupting a match in progress uh utilizing an electronic device to gain an advantage over an opponent that's interesting um i can think of a lot of examples of that i think they're probably worried about something like uh you know having an earpiece where somebody's talking to you or something like that but uh i wonder if this could include like electronic note-taking mishandling or intentionally damaging another participant's personal property yeah that's important um especially it's interesting because you know in keyforge we cut in adaptive or reversal you would actually be playing the opponent's decks but at official events they're not doing those anymore so um so you would have fewer opportunities to do this but still good that it's on here and of course bribery or colluding if you're uh you know if you are if you know that your teammate, uh, you're playing against somebody who you care about personally, you want them to do well, and you know that you don't need to win this game, but they do, uh, you can concede and help them out that way. But the moment you talk about it, the moment one of you talks about it as a possibility that's collusion. So if you if you ever find yourself in a situation where you think I would just like to concede to this person, you can do it. That's totally fine. You you just the way you do it is you say I concede. That's it. You do not say hmm would it help you if I concede, etc. That's not okay. So anyway, um yeah you can't you can't do that kind of thing. You can't try to manipulate the tournament results by colluding with other participants or bribing them. Uh. Rules and fractions. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, this is a non-exhaustive list, so so there are lots of things that could... Oh, wait, sorry, before I go on, I just want to say, I, I noticed when I first read Utilizing Electronic Device to Gain an Advantage Over an Opponent, what I initially thought was uh, of electronic note-taking. Um, and so then I thought, wow, is there anything in here about note-taking? And there's not, which is interesting because in the old FFG doc, uh, note-taking was not allowed. Um, you can't take notes or reference material, uh, reference outside material or information. So um, so if you were going to sit there with a notepad and write down what the other player played, you could not do that. But you can actually now, according to my understanding of these rules. So now, of course, you would need to do that in a timely manner. You can't stall for time that way. Um, but... It, it is that's that is interesting that you can do that 
Um, as far as I know, there's nothing against it in this document, which I believe totally supersedes that other document. So I, I think note-taking is allowed. Ask your marshal. All right. Uh, so rules and fractions. Gameplay errors like missed game steps, missed mandatory card abilities, failing to promptly correct an incorrect game state. Now, interestingly here, if you, if you violate one of these rules and fractions um, and your opponent catches it and, you know, you're not doing this... And you're not doing this on a constant basis trying to get away with it, then um, none of these things have to get escalated to a judge, um, especially if it's easy to, to correct the game state. So as a Keyforge player, if you notice your opponent missing something, just mentioning it to them is a great way to keep the game nice and friendly and, and working well. Um, if a judge notices a missed game step, they might intervene and say, hey, you need to do that. And if nothing has to be rewound, then this might be uh, what's down here, an informal warning. Very uh, low friction, low effort, not a big deal. Um, some of these things like uh, tardiness might be taken a little more seriously, absence at the start of a match, uh, <laughs> failing a deck check, which would mean that you have marked sleeves uh, or something like that. Um, intentional slow play or ignoring instructions or warnings, cheating. You know, th these things are v different levels of serious, right? If you fail to promptly, well, if you miss a mandatory card ability, that's, that's much worse than cheating. Uh, although, um, you know, if you intentionally miss mandatory card abilities, that, that is cheating. So um, better to just do the right thing all the time. Uh, but mistakes will be made, and, and there is a difference between those things. All right, so penalties. None of this is shocking to me, so I'm, I really don't even want to spend a lot of time on it. Just don't do that stuff, and bad stuff won't happen to you. But judges and marshals can go so far as to kick you out, and uh, the marshal can do that. And... Um, that's reasonable. It's good that they have that power if they need it. Okay, so uh, you're responsible to bring your own your own stuff. Um, if you bring, uh, yeah, tokens, counters, everything. Uh, at official events, you have to sleeve your decks in opaque card sleeves. Um, opaque means that you can't see through it. And uh, it really is going to be at the at the marshal's discretion in any event. Um, yeah, and the sleeves within a single deck has, have to be identical in size, color, texture, and condition. The condition is important because, um, you know, you could have a sleeve that broke and then you put a new one on it, but it's the, it doesn't have dog ears in the same way that the other ones do, and that could be a problem. So you really um, want to keep the whole deck uh, in sleeved in the same condition okay uh tokens counter status cards uh they have to be clearly distinguishable that makes sense you can use third party that's fine um they have to be reasonable size and not unnecessarily obscure card information uh and keys this is interesting keys have to be distinct and easily discernible um and chain trackers have to clearly show the number of chains a player currently has uh, and you can't just pile, for official play, you can't just pile tokens on 
to the deck, which I sometimes like to do because uh, that doesn't clearly show the number uh, as easily. Okay, so uh, maintaining an orderly play area, that's really important. I'll probably put out another doc or another video about clean play. There have been some good stuff published on that, but I'll probably cover it. Um, yeah, just keep things nice and neat and then uh, problems don't happen. Okay, this is interesting and perhaps a little more controversial. Going to time, this has changed. Um, I think it's changed for the better, although uh, it hasn't necessarily solved all the problems. Fundamentally, um, the reason the reason games go to time, there's there's two reasons, but I find one of them is much more prevalent. The, the less prevalent reason, I would say, is because people have stally decks. Obviously, if somebody has like a Heart of the Forest deck and they're waiting to launch their combo off, but their opponent keeps, uh, keeps disrupting it so they can't get to their combo, then you could go infinite turns and never have the game uh, come to a resolution. So, um, so at the end of 45 minutes... Uh, you know, time gets called, the game's over. Um, yeah, that that can happen. Uh, but more often, most often, what I find is that when games go to time, it's because one player is newer and uh, struggling to keep up with play. And that's totally that's totally okay in uh, in casual play. Um, at a at an official event. You, you don't want to see that. And so what I would say is if you're going to an official event, invest some time in practicing playing quickly because it's just going to be a better experience for everybody that way. I would rather lose within 45 minutes than, than win on time rules. Um, so yeah, I think investing some time in, in playing quickly is really worthwhile. Again, casual level, this is just not a problem. And if you're somebody who gets upset because at a casual level somebody played slow and didn't finish and you had to go to the going the time rules, uh, please take a step back and rethink some things because you're wrong. Um, that said, nobody likes going to time. Actually, the new player probably would rather not be doing that either. And so at some point it might be worth giving some friendly advice about practicing, you know, avoiding analysis paralysis and playing quickly. Um, once people have some basic familiarity with the game, 45 minutes really ought to be long enough. Okay, so, uh, anyway, but when you go to time, here's the new rules and, and I'll highlight where things have changed. So, this hasn't changed. The player who's currently taking their turn finishes it. If they win that turn, game's over. Then their opponent takes their turn. If they win before the end of their turn, the game's over. Then, and this is a change, uh, player one starts their final turn. They do step one, forge a key, try to forge a key, and uh, that's it. They don't do steps two through five. So if they forge during that forge a key step and that wins them the game, the game's over, they won. And, and this removes some of the... Uh, some of the negative experience people would have where, hey, I I actually would have forged, you had no way to stop me, so my last turn really didn't matter because setting up for that forge step didn't, uh, didn't matter. Um, so I think, and it also changes what this the opponent does on their turn if they don't have to worry about you getting a forge a key step before going on to the tiebreaker rules. So 
yeah, um, that's that's a change, and I think that's better. Um, I don't think it solves the core problem of people playing slow, but uh, but it's it's still better uh, than the old way. Okay, uh, then the tiebreaker rules kick in, and this one is hasn't changed. Step one: each player who has six or more amber forges a key. Uh, removing the six amber from their pool. Cards that affect amber costs have no effect uh, during the step. But it, interestingly, one actually this did change because Senator Shrix and Senator Brackus would matter here actually. So so that's that's actually very interesting. Um, this implies that that a Shrix would work during this which didn't used to be the case. So that's interesting. Uh, okay, then the then if whoever has the most keys wins. If there's still a tie, you go forward. Whoever has the most amber wins. If there's a tie, go forward. Whoever has the fewest chains wins. That's interesting and new. Um, and then there used to be the step where you would figure out your potential amber, how much you could get from pips in your hand and cards on the board if you picked one house. Um, this is much better and simpler. The player with the most friendly creatures in play is the winner. Um, that That is much simpler to figure out. Um, I like it. I like that change. Uh, and then if there's still a tie, you go to the first player is the winner. I, I don't think you're going to get that there very often based on all this. Um, Okay, then uh, best of three matches. So it used to be that if, obviously, if time is called on game one, during game one, then you're just going to do the tiebreaker rules for that game, and uh, and then that whoever won it is going to win. If time is called during game two, uh, You're you're going to um, well okay wait doesn't say this here if a best of three game if, if a best of three match goes to time both players each one okay so if time now if time is called so it used to be if time was called during game two the winner of game one just won now you'd actually do the tiebreaker rules for game two to figure that out. Uh, okay, obviously, if if you go to time, uh, okay, if you go to time and you've each won a single game, so if, if you go to time during game one, you're going to do the tiebreaker rules, whoever wins, that wins. If you go to time during game two, you're going to do the tiebreaker rules for that. If the same player won both games, they win. Otherwise, if you go to time during game two or game three, Oh, no. I, so I think if you're in the middle of game three, you're going to do the tiebreaker rules for game three. But if you're in the middle of game two, you're going to do the tiebreaker rules for game two. And then you're going to check who forged the most keys in games one and two. Yeah. Who who who, who get, got the most keys? Um, then you're going to ask... Uh, 
if if nobody has forged the most keys, you proceed. If then who has the most who had the most amber left over at the end of each game? Uh, games one and two. Then who had the fewest chains at the end of games one and two? And so at at the end of every game, you have to record how many keys each player forged, how much uh, amber is left over in each player's pool, and how many chains each player has. Um, so that's interesting. And then uh, if you still haven't figured it out, then whoever won the first game of the match wins the match. So um, I think if you if you go to this, I think this only applies if you go to time in game two because otherwise you go to game three during game three you would actually do this but i we should i i want to ask i actually don't know the answer for sure uh okay then it goes into official tournament formats so uh we've covered these already in a separate video when the news came out with the overview of the formats but this is a little more specific, so we'll go over what I thought was interesting here. Um, so for Archon, um, this is Archon Standard. You bring a deck, uh, you register yourself and your Archon deck. Uh, the Archon deck has to be complete and unmodified. That's not new. Um, what is new is that these elimination rounds uh, used to be Swiss. Swiss is better. Swiss is a better way to do things. Um, but because they're doing these, uh, and, and these are for official keyforge tournaments. So just just to clarify, this your your local local store can do things differently. Um, okay, but they're doing these elimination rounds, and then they're going to have second amber events. So when you get eliminated, doubly eliminated from the main event, you can go play in the second amber event. Um, so elimination rounds continue until only eight players remain and they proceed to the playoffs that all makes sense but yeah they're using elimination brackets again i think swiss pairing in general makes is more is is very fun the advantage here two two advantages i guess one is the the having people who've lost twice go down to the second amber event uh probably keeps them more engaged and involved we've talked about that but because of the way they're doing prizing uh, I think it's it's actually better. And then the other thing is, for some reason, people, most people, in my experience, find brackets easier to understand. So um, that's probably a net improvement for new players. Uh, okay, so then you, you have top eight. They get paired up, uh, and then you're doing best of three. Okay, Archon sealed. Everybody brings a deck, a sealed deck. They have to prove that it's unopened when they register. Um, <clears throat> and they have 10 minutes before the first round to review their decks uh, until the round starts. Now, there's an interesting thing here because back up here. Yeah, I forgot to cover this. Uh, Arch so... What you bring to the event you bring your archon and your deck list card and it says that um your your archon card must be visible at all times during a match that's kind of interesting um i don't think that means that the that the list has to be visible um just that the card has to be visible and your opponent can inspect the list prior to the start of a match and this but not during the match but this uh 
this is applying to sealed as well and so this seems like a change to to so that in sealed you have to present your deck list to the opponent and give them two minutes to review it before the game starts that's uh, an interesting change that i don't like i disagree with it um i'll give you my basic logic here um reading a deck list is is skill testing uh, playing around cards that your opponent might have but you don't know whether they have is also skill testing those are two different skill sets uh, maybe related but uh, but they are different and uh, Archon standard previously tested can you tested deck list reading and then not play around what your opponent might have because you know what they have Whereas sealed tested play around what your opponent might have, but did not test deck list reading. These are very different experiences, and I think that's good because it makes Archon and Se Standard and Sealed different, which is fun. They're different formats; they should feel different. Um, they're skill testing in different ways, and that's good, I think. Uh, additionally not knowing what's in your opponent's deck can mitigate the randomness of what you open a little bit it's possible to win with a worse deck in sealed uh, it's it's more possible because your opponent might play as though you did have a good card that you don't actually have um so yeah i think uh for those reasons i think it, it, it'd be better to leave it the way it was but in any case it seems like it has changed you will have to show the, the list, but you get 10 minutes yourself to study your own deck, and then you would present the your list card to your opponent for two minutes before the game starts. The elimination rounds and playoffs work the same way. Okay, Alliance. So we've talked a lot about Alliance. Um, the basics here are before the tournament, each player must create an Alliance deck. Uh, an alliance deck consists of three house pods from up to three different Archon decks. So a house pod is a group of 12 cards dedicated to a single house within a single Archon deck. Each Archon deck always consists of three house pods of different houses. So, uh, yeah, so an alliance deck would have three house pods from up to three different Archon decks from the same Keyforge set, and each selected house pod must be from a different house. Uh, additionally, each of them cannot t contain more than one card by name from the Alliance Restricted list, and uh, that card can't appear in a greater quantity than the, what's specified in the list. Uh, but if you use a single unmodified Archon deck in an Alliance tournament, the deck that you use there is not subject to the Alliance Restricted list, which is great. Uh, okay, so... And then a couple things of note here. If the deck is constructed from Dark Tidings, you have to include the Tide Reference card. If it's not Dark Tidings, it can't include the Tide Reference card. If it's constructed from Winds of Exchange, it must contain exactly one token creature reference card from amongst the, the, three, the ones on the three Archons you constructed. Uh, decks constructed from other sets cannot include token creature reference cards all makes sense it'll be interesting like i could picture a world where you are doing a winds of exchange alliance deck and you include one deck just for the token and you take like the best house from it and then build other stuff around it because you want to you really want to pair this house from this other deck without that token into this deck with the token that that 
that'd be kind of an interesting dynamic. Um, I want to see how that goes. Um, yeah. So if so, then you you have to bring the deck, uh, and you have to bring all three Archon cards. When you register, you have to specify at HQ which houses you're using from which deck. Uh, so that's all consistent. Uh, if you are using a Winds of Exchange deck, you have to also register the token creature. So I guess they'll have to update the tournament software or have new tournament software to manage all this because uh, that's all um, not handled in gems, certainly. Uh, okay, and then when you play, uh, you have to... Uh, what does it say? Uh, I guess you'd have to hand over all three Archon cards, but I'm trying to see where it says that. I know it said that somewhere. That's okay. Uh, and then the same idea here, double elimination and then playoffs in Alliance Sealed. Uh, the decks would have to be from the same Keyforge set, and you you don't have to register which house pods you're using, uh, and you can change them in between rounds. That's called deck calibration, and you can also change out which token you're using if it's a Winds of Exchange deck. Um, one thing that is interesting to me here is that... The, the restricted list still applies. So in uh, so overall, the restricted list does not apply if you're just using a whole Archon card or a whole Archon deck. So you can break the restricted list if that's what your deck naturally has. Um, but it's interesting to me that the restricted list applies in sealed because I would think you're, you only have six pods to work with. Um, seems like it would be reasonable to uh, to not have the restricted list apply there, but um, they want it to, so that that's fine. It will, uh, but if you just use a whole deck, then it then it won't. So that's interesting. Um, okay, and then elimination rounds. Uh, yeah, you can switch out pods between your decks, and you can switch out the token creature. Uh, during deck calibration, uh, and then playoffs work the same way. Um, okay, so, and then quick coverage. Again, I have a separate video where I covered this, but I'll really quick cover the Alliance Restricted list. Uh, Dark Amber Vault, you can only have one in a deck, can't have more. Ghost Form, you can have in any number, but you can't have it with any other card on this list. I, I, I guess they don't want you to be able to ghost form a Legacy Restoring Dentist. Uh, maybe they don't want you to ghost form Morpheus, but that, that seems less of a problem to me. Uh, lateral Shift is on the list. So you can't have like a Legacy Library Access and a Lateral Shift, for example. Uh, library Access is on the list. You can only have one. 
library card is on the list. You can have any number. So you could have a library card in three separate houses, I guess. But I don't think it's that good. But you couldn't have a library card with a legacy library access. Uh, Martian Generosity. You can't have that with a legacy library access. Uh, Restringentus. Uh, yeah, Restringentus is on the list. Uh, you can only have one per deck, and you couldn't have it with, say, Morpheus. Uh, Morpheus is on the list, I think, mostly because of Restringentus. Time Traveler is on the list, so you can't have it with library access. That that feels a little... I, I don't think that was a big problem to begin with. Um, and United Action is on the list, so you can't do your Legacy Library card United Action, which really was going to be a problem. Um, so that's that. Um, overall, I think this is good stuff. I'm glad they're being so clear. Um, I'm interested. Uh, I guess I need to ask for sure to make sure I understand about uh, whether you can take notes. And the other thing, yeah, I, I want to ask and find out exactly when the, the best of three tiebreakers, how the best of three tiebreakers will, rules work. If those come into play if you go to time on game two, or if they also would come into play if you go to time on game three. Uh, and then... Oh yeah, Archon card or cards. So that that would definitely mean in Alliance you have to present all three cards. That just makes sense. So don't need to ask about that. All right, um, that's that. I'm excited. I'm excited to just get to do a big event in person coming up soon, and uh, looking forward to seeing a lot of great people there. People I know, people I don't know, lots of nice people. Um, and getting to play a new set uh that'll be in just over a week so really looking forward to that hope you enjoyed hope you're excited too and that you get out there and forge some keys